0: Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. Have you ever had a moment where you feel like you've gone too far away from God, or you've been so unfaithful to God, that there's just no way that He's going to be able to bless you? In fact, some of you may be thinking, I'm not even thinking about blessing. I just don't even think that he can be in relationship with me. He's not going to accept me. If you've had that experience, you're really not alone. The Bible gives us a picture of the redemptive history of humankind and over and over it paints this picture of God being incredibly faithful, incredibly consistent in his promises and his ability to carry them out. And it paints the opposite picture of us as people, We consistently break trust with God. We break relationship with God over and over. When we're honest, it's not on God's side that we question whether our relationship and whether he can fulfill his promises. It's not as though we look at him and say, there's just no way you can do it. I mean, he is God. So we have this sense that he's capable. He's going to uphold his part. It's just that I'm, going to fall short. I'm not going to meet up. In fact, maybe I'll never be the person that he wants me to be. Never be the person that he says in the Bible or he speaks over my life that he sees that I can be. I'll never reach that place, not because of him, but because of me." So many of us have experienced that feeling of inadequacy. and In contrast to pulling away from God, we've actually learned that We can lean into the grace of God. It's true that we're never going to match up in and of ourselves to be the person that God sees in us. But if we lean into His grace, if we experience His, His forgiveness and mercy, we find that we keep going forward and in ways we see ourselves transformed more into the image of Jesus Christ. We see ourselves becoming transformed into the man or woman that He would see in us. God in His relationship to us, He has been, He is, and He will forever be faithful from generation to generation. That's really what this series of messages is about. I want to invite you for the next four weeks to join with me as we look at the ways that God has shown Himself faithful throughout His redemptive story. We're going to see how he has made covenants with people as a way of expressing relationship. And even when people fail, and we do over and over again, God does not fail, he is faithful. We'll see not only the way that this shows up in scripture, but we'll also get to include ourselves in this story. And we'll get to see how his faithfulness extends from generation to generation. Well, in this message, we're going to look at the covenant that he makes with Abraham, and that's in Genesis chapter 12. And we'll get there in just a moment, but join with me in prayer uh, before we open up the scriptures. Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness, even when we're faithless. Thank you so much that we can depend on you, even though we find ourselves being inconsistent. And uh, Lord, you are true and faithful, even when... Lord, we miss the mark. And so we thank you, God, that you are compassionate, patient, and you show your kindness towards us over and over again. I pray that in this message that we will hear of your faithfulness and that we will believe you for who you say you are, and that we will give testimony to the ways that you've been faithful to us, even in our lowest points. We thank you, God, for this. We thank you for your word. Bless it to our hearing and to our doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here's a really quick backstory for this this story we're gonna read in Genesis 12 about Abraham. Many of you are familiar with it, but let me just kind of catch us up in terms of where we're at in the redemptive story. There's already been the global flood with Noah and uh, God wiped off most of humanity off of the earth and said, I'm going to start again. And God is now starting again, not just with mankind in the broadest sense, but he is beginning to shape for himself, call for himself a people. And he begins with this person, Abraham or Abram, whose name means honorable father. Now, ironically, Abram doesn't have children. He's living with his parents and his extended family. Uh, We come to Genesis chapter 12 and God reveals himself to Abram. He speaks to Abram and instructs him to set out from his clan and start brand new with just his immediate family, his wife and his nephew Lot, and start out and go to a place that he doesn't even know about. Just follow God into this new land. And so this is where we pick up the story in Genesis 12, where God says, if you do this, I will bless you. Genesis 1 through five. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered, and, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Now, that gives us the starting point for this covenant relationship. Abram is 75 years old. Uh, he's living in his parents' basement, and God says, it's time to get your wife and get out of the house. Now, that's an over-exaggeration, but not so much for our current culture. Here you have a man, and I don't, can't even use the word young man. You have a man who has his own life. He's got a wife and uh, he's many possessions, and God says, listen, You know, it's time to leave, I'm calling you out and I'm going to make you a great nation. Now, that seems like a huge step to me. You go from living with your clan and all your people, you don't have any kids. I mean, Abram, is his name, ironically, is that he's honorable father and yet he doesn't even have any kids yet. And so almost as though his name is a mockery of his life at this point. 75 years old, his wife is about nine years younger than him and she's barren and so they have no children and God says, leave out from your your clan, your people, leave out from the way that they're doing life and I'm going to make from you a great nation. So he does it, he follows out. There's a lot of traveling that takes place in this interim time. He goes out and he sees the land that God has called him to, Canaan. Uh, He settles uh, in Bethel for a a time. And and so they, they see a lot of blessing that takes place on their life. There's material wealth, there's prosperity. And again, they see this land that they settle into. However, there's still two problems. One, there's people in the land that God says this land belongs to you, Abram. But there's other tribes there. There's other people there. And number two, yet a bigger problem is there's still no child from which there's going to create a nation is going to be created. There's a concubine, uh, but there's not a child of promise yet. And so the. Next moment, we really see this covenant playing out. There's other things that take place, but in Genesis 17, God is meeting with Abram again to talk about this covenant relationship. Genesis 17, one through 11 says this, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations from an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Well, there's, as I said, a lot of time's been passing between Genesis 12, which is the calling and Abraham Abram at that time going out from his family into a land where he doesn't even know about, to this point, this affirmation in chapter 17 where God revisits Abram and with this covenant. And it's enough time that it could seem like God had moved on and that Abram is just kind of doing this on his own now. Here's a couple significant things that had happened during this encounter in Genesis 17. One, God affirms the promise. Here we are 24 years later and it could seem, as I said, as though this is gone, this promise is over for whatever reason, whether Abram had done something wrong, maybe he could have thought that he missed it or it was just his own imagination. But God brings it up again. God visits him here 24 years later and God brings up this, pro- uh, this promise, this covenant once again. Another thing that happens is that God changes Abram's name to Abraham. We, we all of a sudden go from Abram, honorable father, to Abraham, the father of a multitude. Wow, what a, what a significant jump, isn't it? It's one thing to say to a man who's in his 70s, you're going to be honor an honorable father and I'm going to make a nations out of you. And now to a man who's 99 years old and God says, Hey, let's revisit this covenant. But instead of backing away from it and saying, how about if we just call you a father of good ideas or a father of promise? No, God doesn't back down on it. In fact, he magnifies it. He just says, you're not just going to be honorable father. You're going to be a father of a multitude. It's as though God just doubles down on this covenant and on this promise to Abram in changing his name from Abram to Abraham. He says, this is going to happen. I'm going to do this. God also affirms the age is not the issue. Only Abraham's trust in obedience. Abram could have looked at this and said, yeah, too much time has passed. But God visits him, changes his names and says, game on, I'm still committed to this. And so Abraham in the changing of his name and the affirmation of this promise had to come to the point where he just said, listen, clearly if it's, not, if it's going to happen, it's not going to be because I, I'm a, a young spry man who is capable of, of fathering multiple generations out of my body he has to trust God for. It's going to be simply out of Abraham's trust and obedience of God. And then the last thing that I wanna highlight that comes out of this chapter 17, where God revisits the covenant and the promise, God implements an action for the covenant to take place, circumcision of the flesh, a mark on Abraham's flesh. He says, the covenant is still on, and in fact, your participation in it, your part, is to mark your flesh in such a way that you affirm that you trust me for it not just you but of every male within your people and so that's exactly what Abraham does it's one thing now if God looks at Abraham and Sarah and he says I could think I can really make something happen out of this couple uh there's real promise for these two but it's just amazing to me that even when calling Abraham at 75, Sarai was 65, his wife. That's a long shot, right? That's, that's trusting God for a miracle at that point. But you know, whatever, God can do it. It's possible. You can, he can do that type of thing, but wait 24 years, wait until Abraham is 99 years old. Um, you know, a nice name change. That's encouraging. That's a great pat on the back. But if it was a long shot at 75 and 66, 90 and 90, uh, 99 and 90 is laughable. I mean, it's literally almost sounds like a joke that it's a mockery of Abraham and Sarah in this process. In fact, God changes Sarai to Sarah and changes her name as well. Well. I said it was literally laughable and that's because a year later, Abraham is 100 years old, Sarah is right at 90, 91, and they have a son named Isaac. Isaac means he laughs. (laughs) It's literally laughable that God can fulfill this promise, not in a mocking type of way, though we would look at it and think, is God just playing with them? Is he he just kind of leading them on? And that's actually what Sarah thought. She laughed when they said, oh yeah, this is gonna happen. But here we are a year later, Abraham's a hundred, Sarah is 90 and she gives birth to a son, Isaac, meaning he laughs. Genesis 21, five through seven. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. I want to make this statement and then I want to just share with you about my own story of what God does in these moments when we seem fully, completely and utterly incapable of fulfilling are part of God's promise. And that statement is this, God shows you that he is faithful by making life-giving promises in your most barren moments. That's how you know God is faithful. That's how you know it's more on God than on you because when he promises things, he doesn't look at you and say, I see potential in you. I think I can get something done from this man or from this woman. No, he promises us stuff in our most faithless, lowest moments, the the time in which it seems least likely that anything could come out of our lives. God makes these unfathomable promises that He's going to do something great. And it's a reminder to us that it's not born out of who we are, but it's because of who He is. I really have experienced this firsthand. I had completely messed up my opportunity to serve God. It was 2005 and Jerry and I had been church planting in a suburb of Kansas City. I had hit a wall. Yes, a wall in terms of the church plant. We hadn't grown in the way that I had hoped. Uh, It seemed like we were in a stuck place. We had been doing it for about seven years and That was difficulty, but the wall that I hit was more so about in my life and my walk with God. A secret sin had become a life controlling habit that was producing deep brokenness and hardness of heart in my life. I was starting to distance myself from my family. I was looking for an exit strategy from the church and in ministry. I knew that I couldn't go on because I was literally felt like I was imploding that life was getting away from me. This secret sin, this beneath the surface life was starting to ooze out in ways and cause me to behave in ways towards my family and towards my friends, towards the church in ways that I knew it wasn't healthy and it wasn't sustainable. I was going to make up an excuse as to why I couldn't go on pastoring. I was going to say something about the church not being successful, too much of a stress on me. Uh, I was just going to quietly step away from the church and from ministry and see if I could figure out a way to get healing. I wanted to do this excuse because I thought that if there was any way that I wouldn't have to confess what was really happening, then nobody else would get hurt. If I could quietly just fade away or get out of this situation, then I wouldn't hurt the church. I wouldn't hurt my friends. I wouldn't hurt my kids. And I certainly didn't want to hurt my wife. I was anticipating leaving at the end of 2005. However, it was in August of that same year that I went to a pastor's gathering and I was sitting in on one of the sessions. I was just kind of passively listening because at that point, again, my heart had hardened and I figured that God was done with me. Though nobody else knew what was happening beneath the surface, I was well aware that God was uh, uh, knowing what was happening, what I had been doing. And so I just knew that he was done with me. There was no purpose he had for my life anymore. I had really blown it. It was in the middle of this message that the speaker stopped and he said, some of you here think that God is done with you. You think you've messed up so much that the situation and your life is irredeemable, but you need to know that he says he's still in with you and he's still committed to you if you will do the right thing. (laughs) You can imagine that caught my attention. I went from passively listening to all of a sudden it felt like that speaker was looking at me and speaking directly at me. He, he wasn't, but all of a sudden my heart kind of jumped alive and just my spirit was just saying, I think God is saying something to me. If God was saying that he didn't give up on me, then maybe I needed to rethink my exit strategy. Maybe I needed to think about doing it his way and confessing my sin to seek forgiveness and to start again with him instead of just quietly Move off to the side and hope that something good can happen, but not be honest with everybody. I held on to that moment. I didn't react right away or respond to that prompting right away. I, I was still thinking maybe I just need to quietly end the pastoral uh, role that I had and leave the church at the end of 2005. Two months later, in October, my wife and I. We were together at a gathering in Salina, Kansas. Glenn Burris, Jr., who was the Foursquare vice president at that time, he was speaking. And in the midst of what he was talking about, he said, some of you need to know that there is still life producing ministry within you. It didn't really hit me, but I noticed that I looked at Jerry. Something had really resonated with her. In fact, there was a tear that was coming down her cheek and after the gathering, she said, Andy, I heard God confirm that you need to hear this. He still has life producing ministry in your life. You haven't seen it yet. I know you're frustrated from the church plant. She was unaware of other things that were happening beneath the surface. I was frustrated a lot more about a lot more than just a church plant. I was frustrated with myself, I was disappointed in myself. But she just affirmed what she heard God saying in that moment, that his promise was still true, that he had life producing ministry that he wanted to work through my life. Well, that really cut to my heart because, again, she didn't know that she was speaking to her husband who had hardened his heart and was in a situation that would really devastate her if she knew anything about it. She didn't know anything that had happened because I had been keeping it a secret. But now here it was God was speaking promises to her about me because I think he fully understood that I had assumed I had blown it. I had gone too far. But here he was again saying, it's not over. My promises are still available to you if you'll do right and confess and repent and get with me. He knew I could dismiss my own ability to hear him, but that I wouldn't deny it if she confirmed it. Remember what I said before? God shows you that he is faithful by making life-giving promises in your most barren moment. I gotta tell you, I couldn't have felt any less capable of producing anything out of my life. I was so broken and I felt so incapable of anything related to ministry, I would just be happy if I could get a healthy relationship with Jesus again. It was a month later, Thanksgiving in 2005, that in one of the most difficult moments of my life that I confessed to my wife, how I had been living in a cycle of sin and brokenness. That I had wronged her, I had wronged our family, our friends, our church, and most importantly, I had wronged God by keeping this secret and not confessing it and not repenting openly. There was a lot that happened in that moment. It didn't all just turn around and turn out wonderful. There was a lot of pain, a lot of tears. There's a lot of hurt for many people. And in fact, shortly after that, within a month and a half, we went through nine solid days of intensive counseling, which was then followed by um, marriage counseling appointments two times a month for the next year. There was a lot of time and effort put in. There was a lot of grace extended to me. But there was also a lot of healing, a lot of healing and restoration that took place. First, with God, I recognized that He did love me and that it wasn't over and that He was committed to seeing His part of His promises fulfilled if I would stay true to Him and follow through with Him. I did some other things, I wasn't in ministry right away, but after seven years of being out of any staff ministry role, I was appointed in 2014 to be the pastor of this church, New Horizons Foursquare Church. And I'm continually reminded of God's life-giving promises to me. How that when I was at my lowest point, God was speaking promises over me and affirming that he wasn't done yet. I bear on my heart the circumcision of knowing that in my barrenness, He produced life. When I was most incapable of producing anything, that He put within me a desire to put that mark and that circumcision of repentance and confession and humility upon my life, knowing that if I was willing to do that, He would produce life out of me. I want to finish this message but just by inviting you If you think today you've gone too far, there's always hope in Jesus Christ. The promises that God has made are yes and amen in Christ. You have possibly gone a long ways away from God. You possibly have made decisions that make it very difficult for you to experience the promises of God. But one thing is true that God is still in on it. He is still committed to you. He is still committed to fulfilling his promises, even at the lowest point of your life. It might not be sin. You may, it may just be that you like Abraham and Sarah, you look at the barrenness of your life and where you're at and you think God's not gonna produce anything out of this. It's, it's such a, a wasteland. It's such a season of life where nothing good and, and new and fresh can come out of it. Can I just encourage you that God is not done with you as long as there is breath in your lungs, the ability to to humble yourself and be on your face before him just like Abraham was, that there is an opportunity for you to obey him and follow his commands and experience the blessing of his covenant with you. Remember, it's not contingent on your abilities. It's not contingent on you being Uh, perfect in this life. It's contingent on you trusting that God can do it and believing him for it. That's what Abraham is commended for. Not that his body was in the right place, not that he was capable of doing great things for God, but he was commended for having faith and trusting that God could do it, even though the circumstances seemed helpless. And I want to encourage you in Jesus Christ today, if you will completely commit your way, For some of you, that means confession of something that you've buried. And all that you see is if you confess, you just see destruction. I hope that my testimony today affirms that there's more than that. There is hope of redemption and restoration. If you're looking at your circumstances and you're just saying, what can God do out of this? (laughs) I think Abraham and Sarah were saying the exact same thing. In fact, Sarah laughed. You today might be laughing saying, really, you think God's gonna do something out of this? I don't even just think, I know God can do something out of that. The question is, are you convinced of it? Do you believe that God can do something that he can produce life in your most barren places? Today, I just invite you, go before him, put your face down before him, cry out to him and just say, God, I want to see your life produced out of my most barren moments. I give it all to you that you might produce life in this moment to the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for what you've done in me and through me. I pray it's a testimony to those who they themselves are walking through the most barren places of their life and maybe they think that they're done. I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, you would remind them that it's not done until you say it's done. It's not done until they've completely hardened their heart and turned away from you. There's always time in this moment to soften our heart to you, to repent. There's always time for those who have hidden sin or unconfessed life-controlling habits to come before you and confess openly, not just to you, but to others so that healing can come. To, to confess to a spouse, a family member, to confess to a friend, to p- bring it out into the light so that true healing can come. For others in their circumstances, God, whether that's their physical circumstances, Lord, whether that's the, the, the life circumstances, their job, uh, God, maybe it's in their marriage, Lord, I know there's situations where people just think, this, this circumstance, this situation is dead, dead, dead. Lord, we see this in Abraham and Sarah. There was no way life was coming out of them except that you said that it would. And so Father, we, we just trust you for it. I pray that faith would rise up and trust in you that you can produce life in the most barren circumstances. We thank you for it and we trust you for it, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, You can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.